Hi guys, what's going on? Talking with Miles right. Let me get situated. You know, every show I gotta get situated because I be doing this shit myself. I edit it out. Wow, what's happening? This is Talking with Maserati. I am your host, Talking with Maserati. Psych, my name is Maserati Shields, and I'm your host of the Talk with Maserati podcast. What I need y'all to do, hit that subscribe button, hit the notification button, because I'm bringing these to you rapidly, good, fast, how y'all like it, changing the editing up, adding some stuff, taking some stuff as I go along. I'm just learning. So today, I got a, I got a, um, today's kind of special. It's kind of special today. Uh, I got a, this is going to be really like only two or three topics. The main topic, the first topic is going to be about a submissive woman. Like, do men want a submissive woman or do they want more of a combative woman or they want like a, a fucking personal slave? What do they expect? And I'm going to play a clip for you guys of a woman talking about being a submissive woman. I'll play a clip. It's a really good clip, honestly. And then how do women feel about being a submissive woman to their man and what, what makes them submissive to a man? You know, I think it's always it's a cause and effect to everything. We're going to talk about that. Then we're going to talk about watch the Elvis Presley movie last night. Um, I'm going to talk to you about the movie and what my my, my uh, thoughts going in before and my thoughts afterwards. And then we're going to go off of that. And then we got to, I think, um, man, what else I was going to talk about? I forgot. It was another topic. But I think we'll probably just segue into the end. Probably after that. Also, the book of the day. The Tipping Point. How Little Things Can Make a Big Difference by Malcolm Gladwell. Listen. This book. This book. Man, listen. I'm gonna just I'm gonna just bring y'all a piece of the book. Look, look, and if y'all know anything about what's going on, on social media, I'm, I'm gonna give you an example. This book says it would be a mistake, however, to think that connectors are the only people who matter in social epidemic. Roger Horchild sent out a dozen faxes promoting his daughter's friend's new restaurant, but he didn't discover the restaurant. Someone else did and told him about it. At some point in the rise of Hush Puppies, the shoes were discovered by connectors who broadcasted the return of Hush Puppies far and wide. But who told the connectors about Hush Puppies? It's possible that the connectors learned about the new information by an entirely random process. That's because they know so many people that got access to new things wherever they pop up. If you look closely at social epidemics, however, it becomes clear that it's just as there are people relying on connectors between us and other people. There are also people who rely on connectors with new information. There are people with specialists and there are people with formative specialists. So basically this book, it shows how small things make big differences, like, like just how things catch on and stuff like that. It's a good book. His, he has another good book called The Outliers, but this tipping point is like real good. So it's the tipping point by Malcolm Gladwell. Now, the key to this book I want to, hold on, this is one one I want, hold on, let me see, I want to write this one. Hold on, this is one part I want to read to you guys. Give me one second. This is one, dang, I don't know if it's in this book. Oh, no, it's in another book, actually. I'm, it's the book I'm going to do tomorrow. Okay, I'm going to read this part. For Hush Puppies, the classic American brush suede shoe with the light, the lightweight creep sole, the tipping point came somewhere between 1994 and early 1995. Remember, early 1994 and, 90, and 1995. I'm going to tell you, the reason why I'm saying that is I'm going to prove a point when I'm done. The brand had been all but dead until the point sales were down to 30,000 pair a year. Sheesh. Mostly to backwood outlets, small, fa- small town family stores. Wolverine, the company that makes Hush Puppies, was thinking of phasing out the shoes that made them famous. But then something strange happened. At a fashion shoot, two Hush Puppy executive owners, Owen Baxton and Jeffrey Lewis, ran into a stylist from New York who told him the classic Hush Puppies had been suddenly, suddenly became hip in the clubs and the bars of downtown Manhattan. Stop. 
Now, mind you, 1994 and 1995, right? And it said, ran into a stylist from New York who told them the classic Hush Puppies had suddenly become hip in clubs and the bars in downtown Manhattan. We're being told... We're being told Backstreet calls that there were resale shops in the village in Soho where the shoes were being sold. People were going mad to pop stores to buy these little shoes. Now, sorry because I'm rushing. I need some more water. I'm going to tell you why those shoes got popular in 1995, 1994 in Manhattan. <laughs> sorry. If you're a Wu-Tang fan, you should know this. Wu-Tang was promoting wearing wallabies to the core. That's what Wu-Tang is, wore wallabies, right? They were wearing wallabies. Hold on, let me, let me, I feel, okay, there we go. They were wearing wallabies, right? Wallabies with their backpacks high, like, like these bomber jackets that was high, like, kind of like a weird, it was a skater look, but it wasn't. So, wallabies came back in 94, 95, remember, because that's when Cash Rules, everything around me came out, and they had the Wu, the Wu Tech Forever came out around, like, I think it was like 96, 98, but they were really big on wallabies, and, and you see Manhattan, New York. You know, I think they from Staten Island. I don't know where Staten from Manhattan. I think it's right around the way. I don't know. But I know for a fact that Wu-Tang probably was the reason for that. I can't be for sure. It's not definitive. But that book, definitely Wu-Tang. But this book talks about stuff like that, the tipping point of products and how small things make a big difference. That's a good read. So if you get a chance, get the tipping point by Malcolm Gladwell. It looks like this. So my co-host is here. Trusty iPad is going to be doing a lot of the research for us. I don't have assistant. My budget doesn't require, or doesn't have that yet. We're working on the budget. 81, 82, entertainment. Please give me a budget. But um, on our next one, right? So I'm a, I want to go to this clip, and after the clip, we'll talk about it. So we're going to go to the clip. Go to the clip. Yeah. Now we're back, right? We're back from the clip. And so I'm, I'm, I'm going to go first with, do men want a submissive woman in the sense of how she said it? That her catering to her man, her being submissive to her man is good for her. It's therapeutic for her. And she wants to love you enough to heal you. I think that's the big difference. And I think a lot of people mis misread when black men say we want a submissive woman. Not that we want someone to be a slave to us. We don't want that. We want someone that's coming to heal us like we're trying to heal them. Someone who understands us in all aspects. Don't When we have a good day, when we have a bad day. A lot of times, because I go through this myself, is when we have a bad day, oh, you're acting different. You're acting weird. You're acting such. You got another bitch. Like, no, I'm just having a bad day. I don't want to talk. And then a submissive woman's going to know, you know, he's having a bad day. Let me just do this like this. Let me get him to do this and this and that. Are you, you better. You feel good. Like, to me, when she said she knows when he sleep by how he breathes, the calm, like, that's not weird. That's like, damn, you really pay attention to me. Like, you really know that I'm sleeping. You know that, okay, he's good. He said he's content. Let him do him. Like, that takes a, that's a big, big thing. Like, if you think about it, when someone knows you enough to say, you know what, I'm submissive enough because I care about you that much. I love you so much, and I'm just going to let my love heal. Like, you got to say, she just, she basically was saying, like, she came to grips. She embraced it that her love was there to heal. Like, like to say, you know, he's spoiled, he's spoiled. Like, like most women and I, and like, I hate to say it like this. Most women will listen to, listen to their friends that ain't got nothing, got a baby that it ain't shit and got nothing going for themselves to dictate how they got a good man. They be having a good man and not all good men are going to do everything perfect. Good men are going to make mistakes. Good men are going to make mistakes, but they go tell their friend, oh, girl, he did this. They got a group chat. Oh, girl, he did this and that. And you're taking advice for a woman who can't even keep her baby daddy. Or girls who have baby dads that had kids on them, or it's like weird. It's like you're really listening to 
these women who are, and I'm not going to say nothing like that, but like you're doing better than them by being with this man, right? And you listen to someone who doesn't, can't keep a man. Or I see women running to social media to get comments from females who can't keep a man who've been through 10 different dudes in the last year. Like, I'm not going to listen to none of my homies who can't keep a girl who ain't got a job, who ain't on this shit. How are you going to give me advice about what I need to do? Like, no, nah, we're not going to do that. We're not rock. Men don't rock like that. We don't even listen to our boys when they give us women advice. Unless he unless he's intelligent and he has insight, you know what I'm saying? But for the most part, I'm not listening to nobody who can't, who can't show me nothing from himself. And I can't lead by example. And men, I think all men want a submissive woman. I think that other races get it more naturally than black men because, I don't know, for black, they've raised black women to this independent, I should do what I want, F a man, I can't this, this, and that, like, it's bad right now, and if women like that, if women from like that are rare. Them women, they're not getting cheated on. They're being loved the right way. They're being happy. She was happy. Look how she was talking. You see her skin, how she was glowing, how she was just was responding to the question. Like, you could just see that she was happy by just being there for her man and serving her man. Because he has to be doing something right for her because she wouldn't be that happy in that, in that situation. You know, and I think that a lot of women want to. I think, honestly... No cap. I think a lot of women want to be submissive, but in their mind, they got society telling them, girl, don't get played. They got the Megan the Stallions and all them, the city girls like, like fucking their head up. Like, girl, don't get played. Let that nigga, that nigga, you know, say this, this, and that. It's like, you really going to let a rich woman who's with some dude that really fucking them over, you're going to listen to her. She's not even nowhere near in your shoes. And they probably had it worse. They're just writing lyrics. They're just making songs to get bait you in, but they're destroying the women now. You know, it's crazy because, you know, what she was saying, like, she enjoyed cooking for him. Most females will say, you want me to cook? Like, if you enjoy cooking for somebody, you're just going to cook. Like, for me personally, when my girl's over or something like that, I'm just going to cook. You ain't going to have to tell me, oh, do you want me to cook? I'm cooking because I like cooking. I like serving. I like helping people. It's a difference. You feel me? And I think that women are so stuck on what can a man do for me? What can you do for me that they don't even realize? Like, if you do for a man like that, you're going to get it automatically. When a man feels comfortable with you, when a man is getting what he wants and he doesn't have to say it, you're going to get much, much more than you can give him, I promise you, and vice versa with a woman. You feel me? So I look at it like that, and I tell people that all the time. Like, men do want a submissive woman. We don't want slaves. We don't want servants. I want a submissive woman because even if my woman's submissive, I'm still going to listen to her if she give me her opinion. Like, what you say, babe? You know, you might be right on that. Because actually, I'm gonna tell you a story. So my boy came out to visit me, right? And we were at this gentleman's club, not a gentleman's club, like a strip club. Hold up, not a, not a strip club, but a, like a, a athletic club where they smoke cigars and they do sports and stuff. So what happened is, um, we're sitting at the bar, and I meet this this older white gentleman. He has you can tell his wife's a little younger than him, and uh, we're talking. He's telling me, you know, where you? I said, I'm from, from California. I just moved out here. And he's like giving me this advice. We're talking. He's like, I told him I want to get him property. He's telling me he owned property, like, and we should link up. And he takes my number down, like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you some stuff, and I'll let you know what's going on around where you at. But we were talking, and his wife kind of interrupted. He, she was about to say something. He just touched her arm, like, like that. He just touched her arm, and she got quiet and regressed. But now she didn't see no disrespect on her face. She didn't see like she was appalled or nothing. She just fell back and when she when he stopped talking she inserted herself and gave a pee and he looked at her and nodded and he agreed with her and then like that he offered to pay for our tab but we ended up paying by accident but shout out to him but i just seen that interaction like it was a natural thing it was a natural lead a natural submissive lead and i think a lot of women want to be submissive to a good man that leads an alpha i think they have to see that characteristic and it's sad because nowadays i'm just looking at the time you see me like that i'm looking at the time i don't want to go over in a segment so a lot of times in these days, women want to be submissive to men, right? I think it's a natural thing. I think it's a natural femininity thing. 
but I think society is pushing them against it. Like, like I can't understand a woman who would take advice, man, relationship advice with her man from a lesbian. I'm sorry, she's already has bias. You know, that's like me t t getting getting advice from my from my gay guy friend. He's a gay guy. How am I asking about my girl in a relationship? He, she don't even like girls. He gonna say fuck the bitch. So how can a woman get man advice from a lesbian? I don't I don't get it. They do it. I don't get it. I get it. They hate us already, so it is. But I think most women want to be submissive, right? And I think society's forced them away from that. I don't know why. I don't know what's the the underlying tone on that. But I just feel like it is. And so I really would like y'all comments on that on that piece that I put up. Let me know how y'all feel about that. What's going on with that? I really I really like her vibe. I really like what she's going. I think that to me. If, if more women were like that, I think we would see a change in our people. Honestly, I, I would see more black families. I would see if she deserves, you know, she deserves the best, you know, in my opinion. Like, she might want to work, you know, a woman like that. You, of course, you want her, she want to do what she do. But if she's like that, you should have a problem with her. I don't think, and it's like, a woman like that, I think you're going to be more trustworthy of because she's, you like, she can't treat two people like that. If she can treat two people like that, she's a savage. But if she just treat you like that, you're going to be confident and trusting her. Like, oh, that's my baby. Because she's going to be on you. Like, you good, baby? You hungry? Okay, I got you. I got you. You come home. It's going to be good. Like, oh, everything's good. And you're going to return that. So I think both men and women want to be submissive like that. I think society's pushing them away from that. And I think men want women who are submissive like that. But right now, it's hard to get that. Like, you, it's like, like a diamond in the rough. Because a woman to be submissive for one moment and then let a friend tell her something. And now she's tripping. Like, it'll be cool for one moment here, one moment there. And, like, a guy don't want to have to keep applying super aggressive pressure. Like, what, shut up. Oh, like, like I want to be able to say, hey, you know, I would like to wake up, you know, have a good day, talk, communicate. Okay, I'm, okay, something happened. Oh, but you good? Okay, hey, don't trip. Just relax. Like, like me, I'm simple, bro. I like watching movies, working on my podcast, doing stuff. And, like, to some people, oh, you don't give me enough attention. You don't like, like, bro, I'm actually doing something progressive. But females will sit with a nigga laid up playing video games all day just because he with them. Like, he's doing nothing. You're cool with that. Or hang out and smoke weed because they, they smoking weed together. They smoking, with niggas in a, they smoking weed in a parking lot. They cool with that because they with them and he's paying. Oh, he's telling her this and that. But if you see a nigga progressing, trying to do something that's going to put you in a better position down in the long road, they be like, you're not, you're not, you, I need your attention. I need your attention. Like, why? What's wrong with me grinding for this right now? What's wrong with me trying to build this? Like, I don't get that. Somebody please help me understand. Let me take a drink of water. Because help me understand that. But yeah. Um, so I think that. I think in the black community. The black culture. Because in the Hispanic culture. The Asian culture. The Indian culture. Middle Eastern. Even the African culture. It's just the black American. African American culture. It's really. It's shifted. And I think we should get back to that. But um. Y'all let me know what y'all think about that. I'll retouch on that a couple episodes down the road, right? Now, Elvis Presley. They say the king. The king. I had, so, I think, I forgot what movie I went to see. It was, it was about, like, a few, six months ago, I think it was. And I seen that they was coming out with Elvis. And I was, like, starstruck because as a kid, I loved Elvis. Like, just everything about him. Like, the flashy jewelry, the, the clothes, the hair. Like, I just was, like, a fan. And I'm from the South, from San Antonio, Texas, so... That was kind of my thing. And then I remember growing up here in the public enemy, they was like, oh, Elvis was a king to many, but he never meant nothing to the black man. And I was like, what they meant by that? And I went and find out some stuff. So they said there was an article written in 1957 by Sophia Magazine, Sophia Magazine, saying that Elvis said, Elvis said, only thing black people could do is buy his records and shine his shoes. Now, 
This was a new, this was an article in a magazine quoted when he was in Boston. They said at that time he had never been in Boston. So there was a lot of, um, there's a lot of like, like a lot of like controversy around this conspiracy theories. Like they was lying. They said it. And, uh, so when I seen the movie, I was conflicted. Like, I was like, man, I'm really not into supporting people who, who was like that with my people. I really didn't want to see it. But a friend of mine, John Duke, shout out John Duke, takes all my photos. Got me looking like I'm somebody. Wah. Um, he kind of, he kind of like, like really just was like, nah, man. And he showed me pictures with him with BB King, that's Domino. He showed me with people. And I'm like, dang, that's hard for somebody to really be. If you feel like that at that time in the 50, 1957, you really don't like blacks, but you taking pictures with them and this and that, it was kind of hard for me to like to debate it. So I said, you know what? I'm going to watch the movie and I'm going to make my own decision based on what I'm seeing because I wasn't around at that time. My mom was, my grandma was. So I watched the movie first before I talked to my mom and grandma. But um, I watched the movie, bro. And I encourage anyone who does music to go watch that movie because in the beginning, you know, they have, I'm not going to tell you the whole movie. I'm just going to say what I need to say. He was in the black church. Like he's really, he grew up around black people. He was just, they were just dirt poor. So he grew up around black people, right? And he lived in the South, you know, he lived with black people going to church with him, playing with him, right? He, he lived in the projects for the whites, but he would go down to Bill Street in Memphis to get absorbed the sound as a teen. That's how he got his sound. So with that being said, he grew up with us, stole our music. Of course, I'm going to say that. But at that time, nobody was making it like him, I guess, or or on the mainstream like that, I guess, for his people. But it, it relates to today's era is the management. His management was some crooked guy from Holland or whatever. And he sounded like a German Nazi. He sounded like it low key. So could he have planted those ideas in his head? Yes. Because what I realized is he was on barbiturates. Back then, they take uppers and downers pills. They had Elvis on pills early. So he was doing drugs. They had him doped up, stealing his money. And if you listen to what I'm saying, they had him doped up, stealing his money on these bogus record contracts, taking 50% of what he did, right? When a manager's only supposed to take 20%, 15%, they're taking 50% of everything Elvis did. The dude, uh, Colonel Parker, was taking. So if you, if you translate that to music now, what are these labels doing to these artists? Keeping them on, on what? On Percocets, keeping them on lean, keeping them on dope. Like, they just keep them doped up. Even with weed. Just think about it. Doped up. They don't even know what their contract like. They don't know what their money's going. So, I'm just summarizing what I've seen. So, a hard part for me to watch, really was hard, was uh, they was trying to censor Elvis, right? They was trying to censor him. They didn't want him gyrating. <laughs> See, they call it gyrating. They called him Elvis the pelvis. That was funny. Um, and so, they was like, we're going to throw him in jail, right? So, they, the uh, his manager had some faulty background. He wasn't even a citizen from this country. He looked like an escaped Nazi. He looked like he was he came over this country. But back then, this is the '57. So when they were escaping World War II out of Germany, a lot of Nazis came over here to South America, changed their name, and became part of. They didn't want to get persecuted. They were not persecuted. They didn't want to get charged. So he seemed like he was an uh, on the run Nazi, and they kind of figured that. So they pressured his manager that hey. Get your boy in check. He better not be out there gyrating his hips. He better not be telling black people they can sing with white people. Don't encourage that integration. None of that because they're fighting segregation at this time. So Elvis went against it. He stayed with what his heart was at. Was doing you know gospel with mixed with R and B and making rock and roll as he says you know. But Chuck Berry made rock and roll. But we're not gonna go there. That's a whole other discussion. But he did his thing. So instead of going to jail, his manager got them to draft him into the army. Like he really. Got them to draft his own artist. Like, what dude he's supposed to care about? He met as a young guy. Got him drafted in the army. That that killed his mama. She went to drinking and she died because she missed her boy. That was her boy. You feel me? I know how my mom felt when I was in the hospital. I know how my mom feels now that I'm kind of far away. So that could kill a woman. Like your son's in Germany right at the end of World War II, I believe. 
I think it was a war in the World War II, almost the Korean War around there. I forgot what year it was, like it was like fifty five or something like that. But um it was crazy that when his mom died, I felt that. Like he came back and like I wouldn't even know how to deal with that now as a grown man. Like I couldn't I couldn't fathom that. I know it's gonna happen, but I couldn't fathom that how that would feel. So that part was sad. But the trend, the coldest part, the coldest part is his manager had a gambling problem. So he's up and dead with the mob in Vegas. You remember the mob? Now, this is like the 70s. Remember in the 70s, the mob was it in Vegas. You go watch Casino. Go watch Casino. The mob built Vegas, right? And so it's kind of funny because Elvis started this. This trend first was having a residency, performing at a thing. So they gave him $5 million for five years, right? So of that $5 million, Colonel Parker got half, $2.5 million plus he got his whole debt wiped and unlimited credit at the gambling. Unlimited. Long as Elvis plays there. So he kept Elvis doped up, playing at the Vegas, taking his head. Elvis wanted to go on international tours and get international money, right? But he kept him doped up in a hotel with different bras, cheating on his wife, right? Like, for, uh, for this, for this, because he wanted to gamble, he wanted to have all this stuff, right? So when Elvis finds out, Elvis is highest. Elvis hires Whitney Houston and Bobby. I'm talking about up there. And he said, he said he's not playing the international more. He's going to leave, right? As soon as he said he want to break out his deal with, with the Colonel Parker dude, he pulled an old Suge Knight move. I think Suge Knight might have got it from Colonel Parker. They ordered labels. These labels have been doing this shit from beginning since Cadillac Records and all this shit. He went and tallied up everything he ever did for him. Oh, as a label, it was $8 million. Now, this is what I didn't get about the movie, right? You're Elvis at his peak in seven. It's like 76. It's around there sometime. You're Elvis at his peak. You can get bread anywhere, right? You got old songs that you can just sing over and over. Instead of Elvis leaving it, say, yeah, okay, I owe you $8 million. Knowing he didn't have a passport, knowing he wasn't a citizen, so you really couldn't sue me. Like, no one was thinking like this in Elvis' corner. Like, you can't sue us. You're not even a citizen. You go to court, they're going to bring up your past. You can't even sue me. And say, you know what? I'm still done. Keep that. You want $8 million? Try to get it. I'm going to go make $8 million on this international tour. I'm going to go make a million around the world because he did a simultaneous broadcast in every continent. He had like, I think it was like 1.5 billion viewers on t regular TV. So no one was in his corner. His own dad was doing him trying to say that and he ended up dying. So my whole thing is like, I look at the Mac Millers, the, uh, the little kids, the, um, all the Alfredo Santana's, all these rappers that died off of fentanyl or, 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 or lean pimp C and stuff like that. Like who I, I get it. We all grown men. We're going to do what we're going to do. But at what point do we say, man, this ain't look, bro. This ain't it. Look, look like this ain't it. Like, it's crazy. Like, like if you just look at how they getting work, the artist is still getting work to this day. So that's how I felt about that. But overall, with that was press movie, good movie. I if you're an artist, if you like Elvis, you like music, go check it out. I, I give it a 10. Um, I did call my mom after that. And my mom said the same thing she, when she was younger. They said that Elvis said the only thing black people do is buy his records and shine his shoes. It was in an article. So I know, I don't know. They said Jet Magazine found out it wasn't true. Like he didn't really say that. And it's hard for me to believe that he said it. And it could be true. You feel me? I'm not, I'm not jumping on the bandwagon, but I'm just saying, like, like from what I've seen, when I looked at the pictures, he's with a bunch of black artists. He's doing a bunch of black things and he helped some people. And he, they said he wanted to speak out about Martin Luther King and stuff like that. But um, it's just hard to, it's just hard for me to believe that. But again, it's on paper for the magazine. Y'all can look at yourself. Sophia, that's S-E-P, I think. Sophia or Sophia? I think it was Sophia. S-E-P-I-A magazine, 1957. Check that out. And uh, that's what that was about. So wrapping this up, 
It is uh, Talking With Maserati Podcast. And I want to let y'all know, man, everything I'm talking to y'all about is just my opinion. I don't know everything. I know some things. And uh, the things I do know, I try to give it to you guys as best I can. I keep these things short and to the point. If you ever need some, holla at me also. If you're in the Anaheim area, go check out my boy Khalid. Khalif. Khalif. Not Khalid. Khalif. Khalid. Hold on. Hold on. Let me get his information. Hold on. I think it's at 311 South Magnolia in Anaheim, Anaheim, California, 92804. That's 311. Is it 311? Hold on, bro. Hold on, bro. Hold on. Let me find out where he at. Hold on. Let me see where he at, bro. Hold on. My boy giving out the haircuts. Hold on. Oh, it's 221 South Magnolia Avenue, 92804. Find him on Facebook as Thomas Madison. If you're in Anaheim, go get a haircut. He hooked me up. You know, he keep me fresh. When I was out there, I'm not out there no more, all right? But y'all go out there, Anaheim. That's 221 South Magnolia. 221 South Magnolia, Anaheim, California. 92804. Y'all go tell my boy Khalif. Tell him Shell sent you. Maserati sent you. He gonna hook you up. I'm gonna tell y'all something though about, bruh. Listen, hold on. Because I be promoting shit, right? If y'all go get a cut from Khalif, it's going to take about an hour, maybe hour and a half, maybe two, because he's going to talk. He's going to cut you right, but he's going to talk. He's going to talk. He's going to bless you with something, too. If you were freshly from being in concert, he's going to give you a book and some clothes. He's going to probably put some money in your pocket, but he's going to talk your ear off. I'd be like, bruh, I just come for a quick cut, bruh. It'd be at two hours. I'm like, my nigga, you took two hours for this cut. Yeah, but we was chopping up. But this is my boy. I remember when I first got out, right? I had went to a uh, to this shop across the street from my house, and he was there. He's like, he looked at me. He's like, you just, got, you just came home, huh? He got, he's a New York cat. You just came home. Word bond, son. Right, bond? Hey, B, I can tell you just came home, son. I'm like, yeah, I just came home. He said, I got something for you, B. He gave me a book, and he gave me some clothes. And I, I got the book. I forgot where it's at, but I'm going to show you guys. But, yeah, I read the book. And you know what? Honestly, Khalil, I'm not going to lie. I read the book, and I passed it on to a brother who got out. That's where the book's at. I ain't going to lie. I checked. I passed it on to a brother that got out, one of my homies. And he went right back. It didn't work. But it worked for me. And he gave me some clothes, and he said, keep your head up out here, B. Hey, shorty, keep your head up, B. Word is born, son. My boy Khalifa at 221 South Magnolia in Anaheim. Mwah, I'm out of here. Talk with Maserati.